Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. Hey gang, today's Real Animals podcast. I'm uh, super excited to get uh, a little time to sit down and talk to uh, one of my very, very dear friends. Uh, I don't get to see him enough because uh, he lives uh, in Canada and uh, now he's coaching up there and um, got a family, started a family up there and uh, I don't get to see him as much as I wish I could, but uh, a very good friend of mine, you would know him as a Former really, really good defenseman for our Tampa Bay Lightning, Paul Ranger, joins me today on the Real Animals Podcast. Buddy, how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm closing up by the fire here up north. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is it cold up there? No, I'm just, I'm just screwing with you. It's oh, not okay. that cold at all. Well, I talked to my mom in Wisconsin. She said it was cold there, so I don't know how it's not cold by you. Yeah, well, I mean, there's snow on the ground, but it, yeah, we're used to it, so right. not too bad. Right. You're still wearing shorts? Of course. <laughs> that's that's my boy. That's my boy. So uh, we, we, we obviously I want to talk, um, you know, for those listeners to the podcast, uh, some of them probably know that you and I spent some time fishing together uh, and that you have a passion for it. A lot of people probably don't. Uh, so obviously we want to talk about Paul Ranger, the fisherman, but I don't think we can dive into a podcast with Paul Ranger and, and not talk uh, some hockey that just wouldn't make any sense at all. So, uh, you were born and raised in Ontario, Canada. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, it, I'm always interested when, when, when I think about the, the youngsters in Canada, the passion for hockey up there in that country, um, you know, for you to play in the juniors there, you know, what, how hard is that to do? I mean, it, to me, it, I don't think people understand it. it. I don't think everybody doesn't get to play juniors, right? No, not at all. I mean, everyone grows up playing my, what we call minor hockey up here. So up till about age 14. Right. And, and there's different, obviously different levels of, uh, you know, we have triple A, which is the top tier level. And it goes down to double A, single A. And then there's some select teams and house league level. And that's for every age group and every town or city kind of has you know, one or two teams at each, at each level. Um, and then once, yeah, once you, there's an OHL draft, which is the Ontario hockey league. It's, uh, uh, it, it's called the OHL and it is our junior, junior ranks, which is it, we're, we're 16 to 20 at that age. Uh, so it's, it's, it's similar hockey to the NCAA level, okay. even though the NCAA is a little bit older. Um, but it's just a little bit of a different game where in the NCAA, they're a little more physically mature than us, but I think it's skill wise. It's about the same. Sure. Um, yeah, so the first and second year NCAA, NCAA guys get picked in the NHL draft and the second and third year, OHL kids get picked in that same draft. Okay. So <clears throat> we play the junior ranks and the U S guys usually go to college or, or the U S under 17 or under 18 program, right. For the top guys. Um, and it's tough. It's tough to, uh, there's so many levels to get to the NHL. I mean, you go from minor hockey to junior hockey to uh, a semi pro league, and then usually a, a next level semi pro league and then the NHL. So, and every every step of the way, there are a lot of cuts. You know, sure. you got to be top of the ranks in every every step of the way to get there, and it's it's nerve wracking, especially when you're you know 16 years old, 17 years old, trying to trying to make your way, right? Right. Um, but it's fun. <laughs> it's fun, especially if you're a competitor. It's fun. Well, and and I would think that 
that seems like a lot of pressure on a 16 year old kid. It is. Based, oh my gosh. Especially you know what, ba- this is, based on how this popular is, this hockey is. Very is similar to Canada. Oh, sorry. We're getting cut over over each other. Sorry, buddy. Um, we are uh, Americans to football is like Canadians to hockey. That's okay. how passionate we are about it. Wow. I was up there for a, yeah. I was in Toronto for a Toronto sportsman show several years ago. And I think that was the aha moment for me when I, 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 we turned on the TV and there was like, you know, like regular ESPN for like sports. And then there was like a channel just for hockey, like yeah. just yeah. hockey. I was like, what is this channel all about? I mean, all they talk about is hockey. And then you, you start to realize what hockey means to the core of, you know, the Canadian culture. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, a little crazy story for you. The last, last winter, just to tell you kind of how, how nuts we are about hockey. I mean, as a, as a core of the country. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we had a big ice storm for two days last year in our, in our brand new neighborhood that just built up a few years ago where we live now. And we have some friends in the neighborhood and anyway, I wake up one morning and, uh, and, you know, go to the office and look out the window and, there's kids skating up the street. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what is going like our kids don't play road hockey. We used to play road hockey just just in your shoes and just playing street hockey, what right, we called. Right. And back in the day. And now because of all the social media and phones and games and all that stuff, and video games and whatever, the kids don't really play that anymore. But if there's an opportunity to get on a pond or play street hockey on your skates, they're doing it. I guarantee <laughs> they're doing it. That's you know? awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So, uh, in so in two thousand and two, you were uh, you were drafted by the Tampa Bay Lightning, one hundred eighty third overall. Take me through the emotions that came with that. I mean, that's got to be for a Canadian born hockey player. Well, for any hockey player, I guess, it don't matter where you are born. But I would think, especially being from Canada and going through that you know tough process to kind of keep climbing the ranks there. I mean, what is that feeling like? That's got to be incredible. Yeah, and and I'll be honest with you, and I I don't think many players would be. Um, I, I was ranked. They they come up with these rankings right before the draft and whatnot. Um, and I think it was somewhere somewhere like thirtieth in North America. So if you put those numbers together, you know, you include Europe and Russia and and whatnot. You know, it should have been like a top three four round pick. So once the fourth round came and nothing happened, the fifth round pick came and nothing happened, I was starting to get a little bit worried and disappointed. You know, feeling that sense of oh my gosh like is this going to happen or not you know because you, you you're sort of given these expectations and pressure right for something good to happen to you right um anyway it's the second my name was called actually it was really funny during the draft uh it was in buffalo new york and you know, i was sitting with my agent and and a few of his other clients and the, and the kids sitting right in front of me got drafted 182nd so we were all busy celebrating him and, you know, congratulations and awesome, you know, whatever. And then all of a sudden I heard my name in the background and I look at my dad and my dad looks at me and he goes, Dave, just call your name. <laughs> and, and immediately all that pressure and expectations and disappointment and emotions just flushed. It was just so overwhelming. Like I, I barely remember going down and, uh, they handed me a going down to the main floor where the arena is, and and uh, they you know, one of the representatives from Tampa came up, uh, gave me a gave me a jersey with a, an O2 on the back, and uh, you know I got to meet some of the brass, Jay Feaster, the GM back in the day, 
John Turrell, I believe, was there. Uh, a few of the scouts and whatnot, and you know, you got to get picture taken and all this stuff. And it was, it was overwhelming, but it was fun. You know, like it was, it, it was a whirlwind for sure. Um, I can't imagine what it was like for a top ten pick to go. You know. Right. Um, I mean, there's media all over those guys. They don't care about us. They're 183, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is actually, it works to our advantage. We don't have to worry about it. You right. Know? Um, but uh, yeah, after that, it was, uh, I, I just, I always made it a goal of mine, um, to, to do my best to make it. Um, I always had a plan B to go back to school. Uh, but it didn't take long. Uh, it was a year and, and during the lockout, I played in Springfield and then, um, I got lucky enough to have a, have an opportunity uh, after training camp. I got called back up, and Torts wanted to see me go, so he told me to be aggressive and as aggressive as I could ever could ever have been. <laughs> <laughs> and I got lucky and stuck, and I, I was there ever since. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really a cool cool yeah. story. Now, and I, you know, I have to ask this because um, I, I'm very good friends, as you know, with. Coach John Tortorella, uh, we got very close when he was a coach here in Tampa Bay. We spent a lot of time on the water together. I never got Coach Torts, so to speak. I, you know, Coach Tortorella wasn't my guy on the boat. I just got John Tortorella, even though obviously I called him coach. Um, but I had a lot of players, um, great players in the Tampa Bay area that knew that John and I spent time together that would actually come up to me at certain events and be like, really, dude, how do you hang out with that guy? What was it like playing for John Tortorella? I mean, you know, here you are, a young kid, and, and you know, during that time in John's career, you know, I think it's it's well documented that he his expectations and, and what he expected and pushed you to do uh, were supposedly not so easy. How was that uh, for a young hockey player? I think Torch is a special, special human being. He's um, – <clears throat> I think his son is in the military yep. and mm-hmm. I, I always viewed him as a, as a military style coach. He loved pushing guys to their limits uh, physically and mentally and see who, see who could, who could push through, who couldn't, um, especially in training camp. Uh, I think that's, that's one advantage that, well, that I had, I think over a few other guys that were trying out, um, I don't know, somehow I, I just, I wanted to beat everyone else out. And I think he took notice of that and it kind of helped me get there. Um, but in saying that for him, what makes him special, I think, and, he, and, and this is just my assessment of him, and, and I'm sure you can see this too. Um, he cares about people. He really does. Um, it's that partnered with, he just, I don't think he always knows how to, how to express that <laughs> care for people, but he does, he really does care about people and the wellness of others. Yeah. Um, but he also has this passion and, um, and drive to pull the best out of people, whether that's in an athletic stance or, uh, um, the best out of his, out of his kids, uh, to, you know, go to school or, or even himself to be the best coach that he can be. And he's always, you know, I hear through the grapevine through players um, uh, how much he's he's changed a little bit over the years. Uh, he's still the same old torts. I mean, he's, he raises his voice quite a bit, but um, <laughs> as far as as far as you know, how he deals and how he cares about dealing with people and players, um, I think he's evolved quite a bit from what I understand, and and uh, and, and that's. 
that's impressive. I, I think some people get stuck in their ways and the world's always changing and people are always changing, right? We talk about millennials all the time and, and well, guess what? The millennials are there. They're, they're entering the NHL now and um, you have to be able to evolve and adjust and, and learn uh, and change. And, and I think he has that in him to be a great coach still. So yeah. he's always, I've always, you know, I know he doesn't know us, but I've always thought about him and the opportunity that he's gave, he gave me as along with Jay Feaster and Craig Ramsey, um, the other defense coach, uh, assistant coach with Tampa at the time, uh, and what the opportunity that they gave me to fulfill my dream. And, and, you know, he always, he always would tell me that, you know, you earned it, you earned it. I said, yeah, but you know, you gave me the opportunity, sure. you know, they, they drafted me and they, they took a look at me in camp as a sixth round pick and they gave me that opportunity. So I'll never forget that. I always looked, uh, I always looked at torts, um, uh, he he reminds me of my father, and not that he was a father figure to me, but he reminded me of my father in the fact that I always tell people with, with torts there was no gray area, like there was a right, right. way and a wrong way, and there just wasn't any gray. <laughs> I mean, and, and I don't I haven't spent a bunch of time with him recently because obviously he doesn't live here uh, full time anymore. I, I see him usually once or twice in the summer if uh, he comes to town. We get together and do a little fishing. Um, but 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 when he was here, I spent you know a fair amount of time with him, and I was always amazed that it was just. <laughs> I will never forget. We were in Boca Grand Pass. I had him and Nigel Kerwin in the boat and, uh, we were on a phenomenal bite up on the hill. Every time you drifted a crab through the poons, they ate every time we had like five or six fish, you know, it's like 1030 in the morning and up, you know, we ended up fighting one and getting it off and I'm swinging the boat back around to make another drift and towards looks at me and he goes, Mike, this has really been an amazing morning. I'm like, yeah, Torch, they're chewing the bottom out. This is great. And he looks at me and goes, the rest of the morning, you're off. Take me back. We're good. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm looking at Nigel. I'm looking at Torch. Like, are you kidding me, bro? This bite is epic. Like, we're leaving? And he, <laughs> I will never forget it as long as I live because he looked at me so irritated. Like, did you not hear me? Do I need to tell you <laughs> twice? I mean, he looked, he said, Mike? I said, we're done. Take me back. Hmm, okay. Well, we go back. <laughs> and I just took it back. I'm like, okay, Torch, whatever you want to do, buddy. I mean, it was just, it, it just cracked me up. The whole, the, the matter of fact, the, you know, this is the way we're going to do things. We're going to do it Torch's way. And uh, that's the only way. That's going to be the best way. And that's how we're going to do it. And I'm not sure. I think you're right. I think some of that softened up a lot from, from those days, um, you know, rave reviews from um, some of the guys in Columbus that show up here. He he sends them on a fishing trip if they have time when they're in town. And uh, a lot of those guys when, you know, I was like, so, you know, how is it working with torts? Rave reviews from his from his players and his coaching staff, uh, you know, on those opportunities I've had to talk to him. So uh, really, really a neat guy. So I knew that that would be uh, I was interested to get your take on uh, on a good friend uh, John Tortorella there. So so let's talk fishing. So normally guys don't you know you end up in Florida. A lot of guys, if they're golfers or whatever, you know, as far as the pro athletes go, you know, they tend to go golfing a lot and they don't fish much or maybe they fish once in a while, but, you know, fishing's not their thing. For you, fishing is kind of one of your things. Now, how does that start? How does Paul Ranger, you know, come to Tampa and then be like, I got to get on the water. I got to catch fish. Did you fish as a kid? I did. Yeah. 
<clears throat> I um, gosh, I have I, I never seen a family video. I must have been three years old or something along those lines. We're in a diaper, two years old or something, um, standing on a dock on a river with my dad catching bluegill and sunfish. Nice. And, you know, we'd, we'd get a bucket of them <laughs> and I just couldn't stop staring at them. <laughs> uh, you know, they're just so intriguing for some reason. I remember, but we, you know, we fished in about three, four feet of water and the water was super clear in the river. Um, and you could see all these fish swimming around and looking around your hook. And then all of a sudden your worm would just disappear and you'd feel weight <laughs> on the end of your rod. And, and it's just, I still remember that it was, it was incredible. And it's just like, there was a whole other world there, you know? Um, and, and I guess it was always a bit of a surprise. Like you just never knew what you were going to get. Sure. Um, so that, 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 that stuck with me my whole life. Um, and then as I got a little bit older, my uncle Wayne, uh, he had a boat for on that river and, um, just a small fishing boat. And, and, and he would go, you know, trolling or casting or drifting or whatever for walleye and bass. And that was, that was like the biggest treat of the year for me to be able to go out with him. Um, one, you know, we'd, we'd go up there to his hometown once a summer every year. And that was the thing that I probably looked forward to other than hockey every year. Um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it just stuck with me the whole way. <laughs> Actually speaking of torts, <laughs> the one thing that let's, let's get back to torts. Let's merge those fishing and torts stories together here. Why not? Okay. Come on. When I, when I, when I first got to Tampa, I always had, uh, a couple of rods in the back of my truck ready to go. Right. And after practice in the morning, you know, when we were home and we had a practice in the morning, not a game day, but, um, you know, in the, in the morning we were done by, you know, noon or one o'clock or whatever it was. And I would go travel around with either a, a buddy on the team or one of my buddies that was visiting in town. Uh, we'd go search out ponds and communities in North Tampa and look for bass. We'd go search them out. And we caught a bunch and a bunch of, a bunch of piggies. Like they were, they were, you know, four or five, <laughs> six pounds at times. And, and anyway, I'm, I'm coming into the room one day, the dressing room, you know, a couple weeks later, whatever it was after my first month or so there and, you know, raving about the fishing and stuff and these little back creeks and connecting these ponds in the middle of communities. Of course gives me this, this little snaring look. I'm thinking, Oh shoot, what did I do? Am I, you know, what now, right? Like, right. <laughs> um, and you know, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. look, probably the same look you got when he asked you, to, did you not hear what I said? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he goes, and, and, and he just kind of walked away. And then later in the practice, after the practice was over, he comes up to me and he goes, why are you fishing for bass? And I said, well, what do you mean? They're awesome. I love, I love bass. And like in Canada, like you go catch a, you know, a four or five pound smallie or, you know, our same size largey. That's, that's a great fish up here, right? Sure. Um, and that's what we grew up on. That's what we looked at, right? That's what we sought out. And, uh, you know, so I'm just, I just reply back. Uh, it's a great fish. I love fishing for bass. It's awesome. He goes, God, you haven't touched the salt water yet. Have you get out there? <laughs> and basically he, he told Nigel, he called Nigel Kerwin over and told Nigel to hook me up with one of the guys. And, and you were one of the guys, I think that we, before we had met that, yep, to, to yep. try and hook up and go fishing. Yeah. Anyway, that conversation changed my fishing life, you know, like completely <laughs> turned it around because once I got in there and caught a couple of snook and reds, and then it turned into Boca Grand tarpon and permit and so many memories made on the water, uh, those coastal waters of Florida from homosassa scalloping and, 
uh, or the Three Rivers or whatever it's called up there, um, you know, down all the way down through Tampa and then down to Boca Grande. Um, spent a lot of time. He, as you know, we, I mean, Maiden for you was fun. Um, we spent a lot of time down there, yeah. and it's changed my life up here too. In that, I can't go what we call green fishing anymore. I, I don't really enjoy catching bass or walleye anymore. <laughs> I I go for the big dogs. We we got salmon up here in Lake Ontario and you know, we go for those big 20, 30 pound salmon. Those are the, those are the where that's where it's at now. Right. I mean, (laughs) I can't, it's not the same. It's not the same anymore. It's changed my life. Feel size matters. I was trying to think, um, you know, last night when I, when I knew we were going to get a chance to do this podcast today, I was trying to think the first time we fished together and I, it might've been, I think I had you and Smitty on the boat together. Yeah, I think Nigel was there too. And I think it was, yeah, I think it probably was. Um, and uh, I remember you opening that trip up with a big snook off the docks. Um, and, uh, you know, that was, it, it's been one of the really rewarding parts of, of, you know, getting to meet Nigel and getting to meet Torts uh, um, to, to, get in with the Tampa Bay lightning and meet so many of the guys, obviously my relationship with you, which, you know, you're, you're a dear friend. And, and I, I think you and I'll be friends until, you know, <laughs> one of us passes on to the afterlife. Um, but you know, uh, Mike Smith and, and, and just so many of the guys that, uh, you know, stammers guys that I've got to spend a little time with and, 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 and meet, um, you know, especially those guys like you and like Mike Smith in particular stand out to me because, you know, world-class athletes who get on the boat and the fish start biting and you guys act like little kids. It's always something that it just always kind of rang interesting to me. I'm like, you know, these guys play a, a, a world-class sport. I mean, you just can't get in. You just, it's not something where just Joe blow off the street can come in and play in the NHL. You guys play in these packed arenas with everybody cheering and pushing and slapping the glass and, and, you know, cheering your name. And then you you get on a boat in the middle of nowhere and, you know, a, 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 seven pound snook makes you guys giggle like little school kids. It just, oh, yeah. uh, it's just an awesome thing to see. It really is, you know, uh, as a, as a captain, I mean, that's what we, you know, that's what we dream about and shoot for. And then I, I know that you had just kind of mentioned it. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know that, um, you know, for a couple of years there in, in my Boca Grand days when I was guiding in Boca Grand, which I did for about 10 years, um, you were my mate. I always ran, I always tried to run with a mate if I could. I didn't have to, but I had the opportunity to have some pretty special guys hanging out with me during the day that wanted to mate down there. Um, and, and you, you know, called me up one day and said, I think I want to come down and mate for you, which is a whole nother crazy story because I still remember thinking to myself, really? You want to come down and work in Boca Grande Pass? Um, okay. Um, but we had so much fun. I mean, we laughed so hard and so many memories and catching permit and catching tarpon and all the different things you see uh, on the salt water is really incredible. And I, I know that's why I love the sport. Um, and I'm glad that uh, I could have a little bit to do with, you know, screwing up your, your bass fishing back home. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's all good. The memories are worth it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you know those those day those tarpon days are. Oh man, I don't even know if anything can replace that fishing wise. Um, 
So yeah, like, and I know what you're talking about it. I mean, we're all human, right? So there's, there's, there's something in each of us that, that really, you know, gets us going and makes us giggle that way, you know, whether it's fishing or, or making, draining a putt, like you said, in golf or 50 footer or something, it sure. makes people smile, right? Something so simple, but in the, in the human sense, it just, no matter what else is going on in your life, it just makes you, it makes you smile. Yeah. Um, you know, and then there's other things like Nigel catching a pelican or whatever. I mean, that makes you laugh too, right? I think that happened to a couple times that day. Um, <laughs> yes, it but, did. Uh, I, that you know, still, he still holds. Dive bombing his face and stuff, yeah. He still holds but, the uh, the Real Animals Charter record because I think he caught and landed three pelicans in one day. So that's uh, that's another guy I'll have to get on the podcast so I can bring that up, that he holds that record. Oh. I'm sure that'll be priceless. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, he came, he actually came down. I remember after we were done mating, he came down to, to visit me in Boca when I was just traveling. Um, after I was done my career, I went down back down a couple of times, and, and we met up back in Tampa. But I don't think you were there those years. But uh, he came down, and we caught. We, we got on a on a reef, and we were just oh, we were crushing the permit and snuck. It was insane, and and he just got all these crazy videos and stuff of, of both of us. And oh man, I'll never forget those days with him. Yeah, he's a great guy too, and and again, an avid outdoorsman. Another one of those, you know, people that I've been blessed enough to meet through my relationship with uh, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So, so in your travels, um, and I know you've done some fishing in some other places. Um, if you could only fish in one more place for the rest of your life, Paul, what where would it be, and and what would you be fishing for? Oh man, that's yeah. a good question. Mm-hmm. You like that, huh? <laughs> one more place. Uh, yeah, you get to fish there a lot. Now you get to fish there all the time, but you just get one more place to fish and one more species to chase. Which ones are they? Where is it? You know what I would try? I'm gonna go a little off the rock here. Uh, I've done Costa Rica one time, mm-hmm. right, right on the right on the border of the west side of Panama and then, uh, the southeast, right near Zancuda Lodge there, yep, um, yep. in the Osa Peninsula. Yep. And I, I went there once with my uncle Wayne. And uh, we did a week-long trip there, and we had some good days and some bad days over the course of the week. But those good days were—they were incredible. And the feed, oh my god, you just can't beat that fresh fish, dude. Yeah. Uh, so did you, know, you stay? Tuna, did you stay in Zancudo? No, we actually went to we we was between Zancudo and Crocodile Bay, and I think Crocodile Bay at the time had 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 the proper opening for us. So. Okay. I, I think uh, I think that worked out for us dates uh, for the proper dates because actually went during one of the Olympic breaks when I was in playing in Toronto. Okay, uh, we had seven days off for the Olympic breaks, and of course the guys who went to the Olympics played there over. I think it was in Sochi in Russia or something. But uh, yeah, I got on a plane the next morning and went to Costa Rica. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Well, different, and, different part of the world. <laughs> yeah. Well, the the. Uh... The, the 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 Crocodile Bay Lodge and Zancudo Lodge both sit on the Gulf of Dolce, uh, right there by right, Golfito, yeah. Costa Rica, which is about twenty miles north uh, of the Panamanian border, like you said on the on the west coast of Panama. And it's such an incredible fishery there. Um, the first time I yeah. was there, I was just talking to a buddy about this last night. The first time I was there, we were supposed to film shows three days in a row, and we were two days in, and we didn't have a show. Because the, it was heavy cloud cover, we were dodging storms all day. Nothing was biting. I think we had one thirty pound. I think I caught a thirty pound rooster fish on day one, and that was like the only real fish we caught in the first two days. So the third day, 
the, the, the skies open up, it's beautiful, the sun's out, the seas lay down, and we shot three shows in one day. I mean, the fishing was ridiculous. Like from the minute we yeah. were done catching bait till the minute, you know, we were tapping them to take us back at four o'clock in the afternoon, all we did was just catch fish. It was absolutely uh, spectacular. Now what, now what fish, okay, so you want to go back to Costa Rica, which I totally get. That was, Costa Rica's on my yeah. list. I've been there five times. I absolutely love it there. What fish was it? in Costa Rica that really got you going? When What fish would you be targeting if you were going to Costa Rica? Uh, to target, targeting would be tough. Uh, I mean, all the billfish, sailfish from Marlin, um, but I, I don't think you can really target them per se in this area, but I was lucky enough to get a, a 58-inch Wahoo. Oh, wow. Um, and nice. it, was, it was a big, big Wahoo. And I've never, I've never been up and down with something like that. And about 30 feet down and I could see it clear as day, you know, <laughs> right. and that aqua, blue, that aqua blue water like that. Oh man. And the colors on that thing. And the, and it was just, just tasted incredible. We had it sashimi style and, you know, on sushi. I mean, we cooked up a couple <laughs> of fillets and stuff. It was just phenomenal, man. I, I'll never forget that. It, it was just something. And you know what? I, I think I, I'm sure everyone knows this type of stuff, but it truly is exceptional to share moments of, of success or greatness or accomplishment with someone you care about. And my uncle Wayne to me is, is he's my godfather and he's been, he's been a, a great help in, in times of trial in my life during, you know, some mental health uh, struggles in my life. And, um, but also with the good stuff too. Uh, he's always been there and fishing is something that we share together as, as a passion. And, uh, um, you know, to be able to share that moment, I have a picture of us both holding that Wahoo together. Um, you know, and it was, it was, it was just a very special moment and, uh, and it's something that we both cherish. We both have a picture of it up on our walls in our house. And, uh, yeah, it's something that, that I'll never forget. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it, I love sharing those moments with people and, and speaking of that, um, I think I've told you this once or twice, but being able to, to be a mate for you in Boca, uh, in Boca Grande, um, it was, it was such a great learning experience for me in two ways. And one of the obvious one is to learn the tarpon fishery down there. The second one was to learn how to teach people, how to coach and learn how to coach different types of people or different age, uh, a man or a woman. And I'll tell you what, no offense guys, but, women are better first anglers than you are. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt about right? it. Right? We oh, always yeah. said that. Oh, yeah. We? Oh, yeah. They, they absolutely dominate the tarpon, and, and the guys just haul, haul on them like crazy and, <laughs> and don't really – they think they're going to out-muscle them. They Good don't luck. listen. Yeah, they don't you listen. Know? They don't listen. Yeah, the women are better but listeners. The, but, the, but the kids, the kids, uh, you know, and, and the women, they always, they always seem to figure it out. And, and if you had a – and most guys were, you know, after the first it – was, it was the same for me. I remember the first time I went tarpon fishing, I think it was with Chad Manning, and <clears throat> down in Boca Grande, I think I hooked eight – before I landed one. And it was because I didn't listen. You know, I didn't understand that there was a different sort of technique and a strategy to, to fight these fish compared to a little four pound smallie. Sure. You know? sure. Um, and all, all my buddies from Canada um, who came down on my bachelor party down there a couple of years ago, 
did the same thing. <laughs> They're all one arm, one arm bicep curling the tarpon and it's, it's kicking their butt, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just, it was, it was an amazing opportunity for me to learn how to, you know, whether, whether you were up in the tower, um, you know, driving the boat or, 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 you know, telling us where to cast and whatnot. But when it came down to the fight, um, I was right there with them in the front of the seat. Right. And, and, you know, those easy steps of just telling them and teaching them. And it was, it was great. It was really rewarding for me because it translated to, um, not only teaching my buddies how to, you know, reel in a salmon up here or fight a tarpon down there, but also with hockey, how to, how to, how to talk to people the right way, which is not just telling them what to do, but why. And they, they love the, the whys of, of what the fish is doing and, and how to, how to react to it and things like that. It's the same thing in hockey, the same principles in hockey. Anyway, here's the situation. Uh, here's what you're going to do. And here's why, Right. you know? Right. And then they, they learn from that because they can apply that situation or that principle in another situation on the ice where you haven't even taught them yet. You know? Yeah. Well, it's, and- uh, it's, it's quite rewarding. I want to transition. That's a perfect transition into, you know, what is Paul Ranger doing now? I know you are, you're coaching, uh, at, at the university level, correct? Yeah. Yeah. We have, uh, we have university hockey up here in Canada. Um, uh, it's, it's similar age group to the NCAA. Uh, and it's usually graduates of the OHL who, who want to go get an education instead of going pro. Um, that's where most of those guys are and, and they're great kids, um, or young men, I should say they're all over 20 now, but, uh, yeah, it's great hockey. It's tough hockey. It's kind of old school, uh, a little more hacking, a little more whacking. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, or as, uh, I think Jamie Goodman calls it puck slinging. Right. And it's kind of a fun, I've never heard that term before, but they call us puck slingers. Right. Um, you know, um, anyway, yeah, it just, uh, it's fun. I, I really, really enjoy it. It's something that I've, I've always felt like I've wanted to do. Um, but, uh, on a level where I can still be, you know, around my family and my, and my wife and, um, and, you know, and not be on the road for three weeks at a time or something like that. So sure. it works out great here. Well, and then you're, I mean, we, 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 we've got to make sure we talk about, uh, what you do off season or in the summertime you have your, teachings uh your school or, or if whatever you i don't know i'm not sure what you call it but it's uh paul ranger defenseman right isn't don't you teach uh you're teaching yeah. hockey right private instruction yeah. yeah it's it's called ranger defenseman um but uh it's just it's just me it's a small uh you know semi-private to private um training training company for for those guys in the ohl and those minor hockey players who really want to want to give it a go um, you know, there's, uh, I don't know what it's like in the U S but, um, I know in Canada here, especially in Ontario, there's, there are skills coaches, um, teaching you how to skate and stick handle and shoot. That's the big wave right now of the type of hockey training that people want to do, um, just pure skill based. Um, I want to get the guys who already have that and, and want to learn how to play the game. Right. You know, those great, I want to teach them how to think the game and apply and uh, I've created a, a, a really, in my view, I think it's a great program for, for young guys to um, really foundationally start thinking the game and then sort of take off from there. And, uh, and the guys who have um, who've really accepted and, and done it uh, have done really, really well with it. 
Uh, there'll be a few guys in the NHL draft this year from uh, from my first year of, of, of training guys uh, two summers ago, and <clears throat> hopefully do well. Uh, you, know, you, you know, you can't control your outcome all the time, but I think they're they're well on their way. So that's another fun thing that I like to do in the summer because most most of the time from September until you know April May, uh, the guys are off. They're off with their teams and you know anywhere they could be all over the all over the province here. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not much, not much communication or, uh, or training sessions going on during the winter months. That's why I coach the team here now. But, uh, but in the summer, it's it's actually it's the busiest time of year. Believe it or not. Yeah, that makes sense. Let me ask you a question. Just because of, uh, um, because of spending the last five years here um, in in Florida, uh, coaching AAU, helping out with my daughter's basketball team, it, it seems to me that there's a lot of there's a lot of nonsense coaching going on, you know, the, um, from the basketball side of it, you know, teachers, uh, I see a lot of it on social media, these, these, uh, companies that are, you know, they, they show you a video and, and the girl's dribbling between her legs 17 times and then twice behind her back and then three crossovers. And then she hits a jump shot. Um, and, and to me as a coach, as a, as a lover of the game of basketball, you don't see that. You don't have time for all that nonsense when you start to play truly competitive basketball, like you get to the collegiate level, even the upper end high school level. You know, some of the kids would do that in practice, and I'd look at them and I'd be like, you know that you had me on the first step, but because you diddle farted around and dribbled three times behind your back, now I regrouped and caught up to you, and now I just slapped that ball into the third row instead of you had me on the first step and going. Are you seeing some of that in the hockey with some of the young kids where it gets a little too flashy? Uh, I would love for you to come watch one minor hockey game and tell me you don't see the same thing. Okay. I was wondering. I just it must just be yeah, kind of a state of the kids today. There's something weird, I, and I don't know if it has to do with social media, the way people post about themselves and all this stuff. And you know, people are people are always searching for a feeling of notoriety, or you know, especially young people, right? Um, they want to be special, and they want to be you know, look at my life, look at this, look at that. Um, let's not forget that bas- both basketball and hockey, it's a team sport. Okay. And yeah, there's going to be some superstars and there's going to be some, you know, uh, lower end players or mid range players or whatever. But no matter what, every single person on that team contributes to that team's success. And it will never change that way. Yeah. Do you have a LeBron James on one team? And once in a while, does he take the ball and do it himself? Sure. But over the course of a hundred point game, good luck. Right. Yeah. It's, it's always going to be a team game. And I know that it's something that we, we talk about once in a while as coaches in our dressing room. Um, <clears throat> you know, when we have an opportunity to, to pass a puck or, or to, to, you know, to, to just dump the puck in the corner and go start a battle uh, in the offensive zone in, in a hockey game versus trying to go through three guys yourself and turn the puck over and the puck's in our zone 10 seconds later. Right. You know, there's there's a few different team sort of mentality sacrifices that need to be made there in order for the team to win. And sometimes foregoing that um, that that uh, that want for a highlight real play. That hero moment. Uh, the hero moment, exactly. It will it will kind of it'll it'll benefit you and your team because like let's not let's be let's be fair here. I think people from 
from winning teams um, get noticed a lot moving forward. You know, you have, if you look at someone's resume and they have three championships under their belt, or if you look at a guy who's been on four last place teams, but he's the leading scorer, who do you take? Sure. Right. If, if it's a draft, right. If yeah. it's a draft in any sport, who do you take? Well, and, and, and winning, you know, having that success and that, and knowing how to win a lot of that has to do with being a good team or a good leader. You know, and we kind of forget that. You, you just, it's so funny because on my way here to the radio influence studios here in Tampa to do the podcast, I was listening to sports talk, which I do all the time. And there was a giant discussion going on about Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter's on the, the ballot here to, uh, to become a hall of famer. So, you know, they were having this conversation about whether or not Derek Jeter's a first ballot hall of famer, which to me is the stupidest, most waste of time question I've ever heard in my entire life. If Derek Jeter doesn't go in on the first ballot, then I'm done. I won't watch another baseball game. You guys can keep it. Cause I don't, I want to know what idiot even got a right to vote. If he's not your guy and I get it, he wasn't the greatest shortstop that's ever played the game. I'm down. I get it. He might not even have been at one time in his career. He wasn't even the greatest shortstop on his own team. Cause he was on the team with a rod. So I get that. Right. But that being said, the man batted like 310 for his career, 308 in the postseason. How many memories do we see of him making big plays at the right time? Plus, he was the captain of the New York Yankees. He was the shortstop when he won five rings. You know, there's great quarterbacks in the NFL like Dan Marino and Jim Kelly that no one even mentions in the conversation about the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You know why? Because they didn't win a championship. And the reason that Jeter won championships not being the greatest shortstop that ever played was because he was a great leader and he was a great teammate and he did things right all the time. He made the right plays all the time. It wasn't all about Derek Jeter trying to get people to look at him. So, man, we could do a whole nother podcast on that conversation right there. Oh, that, we sure, we sure could. <laughs> we sure could. That was great stuff, my friend. I know you got practice this afternoon. Paul Ranger, um, I can't tell you, there's no way I can tell you uh, in a podcast how much your friendship means to me. Um, I, I one of my greatest disappointments was was ending up not being able to come up to Canada for your and Katie's wedding. Um, we're hoping to get up there and see you guys. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, a, a dear friend of mine, and uh, I'm sure we'll be friends until uh, we we get very very old, my friend. And uh, I wish you all the best. I thank you for the time with me, and, and good luck this season with your team. And uh, we'll talk soon. Anytime, man. You're always welcome up here in the great white north. Be we care. call it God's country, man. <laughs> Be careful. I'm going to come up there. I might just stay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Have Thanks a good, for having me. Have a good day, brother. Appreciate you. Yeah. Hey, gang. Hope you enjoyed that podcast. My good friend, Paul Ranger, our uh, ex-Tampa Bay Lightning defenseman. Uh, really, really a, a, a dear friend of mine. Uh, you know, we, we got tight... Uh, uh, fishing here when he was with the team and then spent a couple years down in Boca Grande. You know, uh, when you when you work with somebody for a month and a half, two months straight, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, sun up to sundown. We were living in the same condo, doing dinner and breakfast and lunch together every day. Just a great, great guy and his passion for fishing and just his, his passion for people and wanting to do things the right way. Always... Uh, Always a big fan of Paul Ranger, so I really, really enjoyed that. Remember, the Real Animals podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and of course, RI Tampa Bay. 
Facebook.com. Remember, it's important to subscribe, rate, and review. That really helps us out. We try to drop new episodes each and every Tuesday, so uh, look for those coming your way every Tuesday. And remember that we are presented by Contender Boats. If you're looking to build that custom dream boat of a lifetime, look no further than our good friends at Contender Boats. You will not be disappointed. Again, thanks for checking out the Real Animals Podcast. We appreciate you guys. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. Everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.